So like Jerry, I want to go ahead and say Happy New Year's, or as my son Luke used to say when he was three, Happy Near You. That was one of those funny things you say as a kid, and it came out, and then it sort of just stuck with the family. So happy, happy near you, all of you, 2018. Um, hope you're having a great day. Hope you've had a great celebration this past week. Hope you've been able to have some good family time, some good food, and uh, you've been able to just take it easy this last week. Um, CNN has declared that the year of 2017 is the year of anxiety. The year of anxiety. So lots of things took place. Politics, what in the world is going to happen? What is going to happen with the economy? There were terrorist attacks. There were shootings in churches. There were all kinds of things that took place. And so they have listed the year of 2017 as they would declare the year of anxiety. And, and, and we're gathered in here today. We've got our kids that are in here today, our, our kindergartners all the way up until uh, fifth grade. Let's give them a hand. Okay? They're joining us, with us in here today. And so, so this morning, this morning, uh, my message this morning as we leave 2017 and go into 2018 is a family message for you that I believe that God wants us all to hear today. And it's from the book of, are you ready? Haggai. All right, so grab your, your, your copy of scripture. You're gonna to go to the book of Haggai. Now listen to me. Some of you are going, hey, 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 he just said that name wrong. Let me, let me say this. Some of you that are raised in church might have said that the name of this book is Haggai or Haggai. Trust me, I looked at, I listened to videos on how to pronounce the name of this book and it's Haggai. Everybody say it together. Haggai, all right, great, fantastic. You're gonna get there. Um, but I would, I would like for us to sit there and say, if, two, if, if CNN says that the year, the year of 2017 is the year of anxiety, then what I want us to take a look at as a church situated right here in Northwest Cary is I want us to take a look at the word apathy. Because the word apathy is defined as the lack of interest, enthusiasm, or concern. Say it again. Apathy is defined as the lack of interest, enthusiasm, or concern. And I think one of the greatest enemies to your spiritual life and to my spiritual life is to live a life for King Jesus and live it in an apathetic way. And I think it's incredibly dangerous when we face major decisions as families and individuals to sit there and to walk in and go, huh, I don't really care. Because God, you didn't show up in this area of my life. You didn't do what I asked you to do. And therefore, I've become disinterested or unenthusiastic about your ways and your plan, and I'm just not really that involved. I pray that if that is where you are, that this today and our time in the book of Haggai, listening to this minor prophet with a major message, then I pray that we would be able to sit back and realize, God, I want you to move me from apathy to an awakening about who you are and that 2018 will not just be a year of resolutions, but that it will be a year of total transformation. A radical transformation so that you can be and experience the victory that God has said he wants you to have. And so what I don't want us to do, one of the greatest enemies, one of the greatest enemies to our spiritual life, Northwest, is an apathetic life to the things of God. And in the Old Testament, this prophet named Haggai comes to rebuke the people of God, the Jewish people, 
because they'd gotten too lazy in what God had called them to do. And I think it's incredibly applicable for us to just sort of jump in there together. And so let me give you a little bit of background before we read our, our passage for this morning. And I also think, and I want to make sure that you're ready for this, you can see that the table is set and we're going to come and we're going to be able to partake of the elements, the bread and the juice to remind us of King Jesus. And so this message and this table is a great way to go into 2018. And so I pray that you'll just be able to prepare your hearts to get ready to remember that his body was given to us and that his blood set us free from the sin that so easily ensnares us. And so let's take a look at some of the background. Okay, so Haggai is in the Old Testament. It's a minor prophet. We have major prophets, and then there's minor prophets. It's the second smallest book in the, of the prophets, of the minor prophets. And so what's going on right here? You have the northern kingdom and you have the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was dominated by uh, the Assyrians. Then we have the southern kingdom. They hung on for a little bit longer. Then King Nebuchadnezzar comes in. Nebuchadnezzar takes the southern kingdom and takes them into what's called Babylonian captivity. And they were there for how long? They were there for a long time, right? 70 years? They were there in Babylonian captivity for 70 years. 70 years. Nebuchadnezzar comes into the city of Jerusalem, gets them all out. They're gone into this captivity, destroys the city, and destroys what's called the temple, which is the place where they would worship God. So the temple is gone, and the people are gone. And then all of a sudden, there's this king, his name is Cyrus, comes in, and he says, I'm going to let you guys go back in to the city which is a beautiful thing because if you read the book of Isaiah, it's prophesied that that's exactly what would take place. So side note, God will do what he says he will do. Don't forget that. And so God did what he said he would do. This, this pagan king Cyrus lets the people that are in Babylonian captivity come back into the city. So they're coming back into the city. And the reason that he led them to go back into the city, he says, listen, I want you to go back into your promised land. I want you to go back in there, but I want you to do something really important. I want you to rebuild the temple. I want you to rebuild the temple that was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. The temple was flattened, destroyed, and here is what I want you to do. I want you to go about rebuilding this temple. And that's where Haggai comes onto the scene. Because here's what took place. About 50,000 Jews came back into the city and they started rebuilding the temple as they were told to rebuild the temple. But then something happened, sort of a speed bump in their plan, that all of a sudden they stopped. Have you stopped doing what God asked you to do? Here's what happens they get in there and they stop doing what God says for them to do. And then God comes to Haggai and speaks through his messenger to get them from having an apathetic life to the things of him, to being awakened and experiencing the victory that only he brings. So let's take a look. And I thought it would be important for us to gain the context because this is not your normal devotional reading. 
in the book of Haggai. So I thought what I would do is I would take the text from chapter 1 and chapter 2, and I want to read them to you so that we can all sort of be on the same page before I make the points I'm going to make here. So it says in verse 2 of chapter 1, it says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came, the Lord of the Lord came, the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while the house lies in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them in a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Verse 8, go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it. And that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts? Because of my house that lies in ruins, while each one of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth on man and beast and all of their labors. Verse 12, then Zerubbabel, the son of Shelatiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet. As the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shelatiel, the governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of the host, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. Jump down to chapter 2. It says this, in verse, starting in verse 3. Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as among nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord. According to the covenant I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. And so here are where we are right now. Since we've all got the context, we, we've listened to that. We're going to go about and sort of pick it apart. About four points that I want to make. Four lessons that we learn about God and then four responses we're going to do because of the lessons that we learn, okay? And so first, lesson number one is God is too holy for us to speak for him, especially when we are not walking with him. Here's what it says in verse, in verse two. It says, thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Let me just let you know there is a fracture in the people's relationship with God simply because he does not call him my people, he says these people. There is a fracture in your relationship when oftentimes we decide, God, I'm going to speak for you and not listen to you. 
Here is what they were instructed to do. You're let out of Babylonian captivity by King Cyrus, a Persian king. You are let out of Babylon captivity to go and rebuild the temple. They come back in, they spend some years building the temple, and then there's 15 or 16 years that the temple has not been touched. And when they are confronted by that, their answer is, well, here's what they say. It's not yet time for us to rebuild the temple. They're speaking for the Lord. They're looking at the lens of what the Lord would have them to do based on what they would want to do. Listen, it has nothing to do. It, it, there, is, there is no problem for you and I having things and being a part of things. But I think that it is incredibly, incredibly important in our relationship with King Jesus, in our relationship with the God of the universe, for us to be careful, to be careful to speak for him when we're not walking with him. Sometimes we say, oh, well, hey, you know what? I've got a new job. And you know what? It's an incredible amount of money. And I think this is what the Lord would have me to do. I think the Lord has brought this house or this car right in front of me. I think this is the Lord. I am going to do that. But, but I want to make sure that we put that through the lens of him and going to people that are in our circle that can help us discern what the will of the Lord is. And I think we need to be incredibly, incredibly careful. Here's what took place. They were not doing what God had told them to do. And then they spoke for God and said, it's not time to build the temple. When God had already told them that. So if we want to move from apathy to awakening, then we have to understand it's incredibly important that we live in a way where we can listen to the God of the universe. God is speaking and God is moving. There are people that are coming to Christ all over the world right now. In, in hundreds of thousands, there, there are people that are in underground places that don't have a public school to rent out to hear this. And so there are things that are great things that are taking place. And, and here, here's what, what, what the lesson is, is so important, is for us to be careful that we don't speak on his behalf when that's not what God has said. The people here confronted by Haggai was that you're, you're talking for him and you need to be careful. Second thing I want you to see is this. God is so gracious in his rebuke of us. God is so gracious in his rebuke of us. I want you to go back to five through 11. It says in verse five, it, let's go with verse four. Start with verse four, it says, is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while these house lies in ruins? So that's a rhetorical question not to be answered. He's looking at them and saying, hey, listen, you are going about and you're building the paneled houses. What does it mean about paneled houses? It would be, it would be the nicest thing of the time. Okay, it's just an indication that what they were doing is they were taking care of them, their, themselves and they had nice things. And there is nothing matter about having nice things and getting nice things and wanting those nice things. It, it is a great, great travesty to our relationship when those things have us and God does not. And here he is sitting here saying to a rhetorical question, hey, hey, the house of God where people come to worship him is lying in ruins and here you are completely consumed with stuff that glorifies you. So then he goes and he says, he makes a statement. He says this twice in verse five. He says, now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. 
consider your ways. You have sown much and you've harvested little. What God is doing in this is he is showing them that he is absolutely gracious in rebuking them because he knows what is best for them. This is a rebuke of him, not because he is a mean, angry God, but because he's holy and he's just and he knows what's best for you and me. And he knows that a lot of this stuff gets in the way of our lives so that we can't see who he is and we become apathetic and uninterested and unenthusiastic about the things of God. And he looks at him and he says, hey, you've sown much, you've harvested little. See, it's not really showing up for you. It's not really working for you. He says, you eat, but you don't have enough. You drink, but you never have enough. You clothe yourself, but no one is warm. And you earn wages and puts them with a bag with holes in them. And so he's sitting here telling himself, you're working harder than you've ever worked in your entire life. You're giving money and you've got money. And all of a sudden you're taking it and you're doing this. And it's just going everywhere. You've got nothing to show for it. Nothing to show for it. Because why? We haven't considered our ways. And it's driven us into a life of apathy instead of a life of awakening to who he is and what he brings. And that is victory in him and through him. And and he goes on to say this even further. You clothe yourselves, you don't have enough. Let me go on to verse seven. It says, he says it again, consider your ways. Go up the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it. Here's the key. And that I may be glorified. It does not say that you may be glorified. Because the goal of our life, according to the Westminster Confession, is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That is the purpose of our life. It's the glory of God. And so he's sitting here going like this. Listen, I want you to wake up to your ways. And I'm going to give you a gracious and gentle, sometimes a bold rebuke when your ways gets in the way of my way. I'm going to block yours. I'm going to block yours. Sometimes I think it's as if we come to Christ and we basically are in a car. If you can picture driving in a car. You're in the car. Maybe you come to Christ. Maybe you have a spiritual awakening and you take God and you say, God, I love you. Here, I want you a part of my life. Now get in the trunk. And then all of a sudden we're driving and our car or our life breaks apart and we're saying, hey God, guess what? You're in the trunk. The jack is back there. There There's some tools back there. Get out of the trunk. Fix this mess. Put it back together. But when you're done, Get back in the trunk. And God says, no, 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 I don't want to be in the trunk. And you say, hey, God, 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 you put the unlock button and you kick open the passenger door and you say, hey, come on, sit right here. And he's like, no, I don't want to sit there. You're in my seat. So he says, consider your ways. And at the end of 2017, listen, I'm not asking you to do um, a resolution or anything like that. What I'm asking you to do is to take a look with your spouse, with your close friends, and evaluate what was 2017 and what did we learn? Because it was not a wasted year. Listen to me, 2017 was not wasted, and I don't care what happened to any of us in this year, it was not wasted. But there is a time where we stop, just like Haggai says, you stop and you consider your ways. What are the things that got in the way of me being victorious in Jesus? 
And how do I not do them again? You could say amen, right? Yeah, I don't want to do those again. So we consider our ways. Consider our ways. Maybe, maybe it's this. Maybe it's your Bible reading plan uh, or the lack of one. Maybe it's your giving to the Lord. Maybe it's your service to God. Maybe it's your relationship with your spouse. Maybe it's your parenting. And maybe it's your work-life balance. Maybe you get commented all the time where somebody looks at you and says, you work all the time. And you got to sit there and go, hmm, do I need to evaluate that and consider my ways? Here's what I want to let you know something. U.S. News and World Report said that the secularization of America is not happening in college. It's happening in the home among. And, and, and I would even say this to another report that I read from the Village Church in Texas. Is that the secularization of the world, meaning this is sacred, this is secular. There's a dichotomy between the both. Okay, You have your church life over here and you have everything else over here. Oh, these are my work friends. This is it. Everything, let me tell you something, everything is sacred. Everything is for him because of him and through him. Every single part of it, whether your friends who do know Jesus or your friends that don't know Jesus, all of it is sacred. But here's what we have to understand as parents and as a family, Northwest, this is what we've got to understand as a family, is that it's this, is that the secularization of our kids is happening at home, not at the university setting under Bart Ehrman's at UNC Chapel Hill, who is a religion professor and says there is no God. It's not happening necessarily there. It's beginning in our homes by the unbelievable competition for the things of God. And that's where we have to stop and we have to say, let me consider my ways just like they did with Haggai and the remnant that were in charge of building the temple. So let me just give you one really quick thing. I want to encourage you, I wanna encourage you not to just pick five things, but to pick one. And I want you to go after it with every biblical assault that you have at your disposal. I want you to go after it in the spirit, through the spirit, and I want you to just attack it. I want you to get accountability for it. So if it's parenting, if it's what you watch on TV, if it's, if it's an issue with porn, whatever the case may be, I would encourage you to consider your ways, but to bring everybody, bring someone in to help you do that. Now listen, it's overwhelming to think of the five things you need to do. What I would encourage you to do is to choose one and go after it with everything that is in you. Let me remind you that you are a child of the king and the spirit of God lives in you. So when you go after it with everything that is in you, I'm asking you to tap in to the spirit that can overcome that sin. Consider our ways. Third thing, God is so worthy of obedience and fear of him. Um, it comes down in their response. I want you to look at their response. He says, consider your ways. This is verse 12. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shelatiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord. 
So here he is, they're confronted with their sin. They're brought, their sin is brought before them. This gracious God comes to them, and what does he do? They obey, and they fall in line. Look at what happens. They obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him. And then here's the key part here. I don't want you to miss this. And the people feared the Lord. You and I both have been scared before, right? I grew up with a brother who was 12 months and one day older than me, okay? January 5th and January the 6th. He's the 5th and I'm the 6th. Well, here's the deal. Every time we grew up, it was, our, it was our goal in life to scare the absolute fool out of each other. Hide in each other's room, hide in your closet. This particular time, my brother, I was uh, a little, I was in the third grade. I was going upstairs, getting ready for bed, stood by my bed, pulled the covers back, turned around, out from under the bed. All I saw were two hands and they grabbed my ankles and I screamed for my mama. <laughs> okay? Now, now, I can tell you this for, for uh, to be very honest with you. It was probably three, possibly four years, please don't judge me, that I had to look under my bed before I went to sleep. And if you're eight years old in here, you're probably gonna just, no, I'm just kidding. And, and, and I had to, to do this because why? I was completely af afraid and my attention was drawn to my fear here. That's not the type of fear we're talking about of the God of the universe. He says, listen to me, I want you to obey me. But what I also want you to do is I want you to fear me because he is worthy to be feared. It's a reverent fear. Not a fear that your brother is under the bed gonna scare you. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is an absolute awe of who he is, what he will do, and what he can do. And that's the type of fear that they had. The fourth thing I want you to see before we come to the table, here's the last one right here, is I pray that this would encourage you whether or not you are sitting here uninterested, unenthusiastic, and really don't care about the things of God, then I want you to know something, that God is the great lifter of our souls. And please don't forget that. Please don't forget that God is the great lifter of our souls. Verse 13, what does it say in verse 13? I want to read it to you right now. Verse 13 says, Then Haggai the messenger of the Lord spoke to the people with the Lord's message, I am with you, declares the Lord. And here's the beautiful thing about this. They're getting back to work. They're getting back to doing what God told them to do. And he looked at him and he says, hey, listen to me. Listen to me. I'm with you. And I think I want you to know something, that when you consider your ways and you finally move from apathy to awakening and you finally follow him in obedience and in, in a reverent fear of him, then what I'm here to tell you is that he is with you. And here's the, here's the beautiful part. Here's the beautiful part. In chapter two, what took place was they were rebuilding the temple wall, excuse me, the temple. They got to be building the temple and the remnant of the people who had come back into the city started comparing that temple to Solomon's temple. And you know what? They got really discouraged. They got really discouraged. They got a little overwhelmed with how unbelievably um, just discouraged they were because what they were doing is they were taking a look at what they were doing and they were comparing it to what they saw in Solomon's temple. And Solomon's temple had all this gold and it was beautiful and it was incredible and it was great. And all of a sudden, they get their heads start drifting down because of the circumstance and the situation. And here's what God comes and here's what God does. He is the great lifter of our soul. Take a look in verse, um, take a look in verse four. In verse four, it says this. 
Who is, verse three, who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Verse four, here's what he says. Yet, now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord. And then it goes down and says, uh, according to the covenant that I made with you and that when you came out of Egypt, next part, my spirit remains in your midst, fear not. That's what I'm talking about. And here's what he's saying to us, Northwest. He's saying, hey, listen, if your 2017 was, you're in a status of just apathy, that you're not making a difference or you, you blew it. You started out really great and then all of a sudden it just, it just fell apart. I'm here to tell you that there's a God in the universe who is the great lifter of your soul and he's telling you, I am with you, fear not. Run and not grow weary. And then when it talks about the, the promise and the, and the command that we've been given, listen, I am gonna go here. Listen, Matthew 28 says, go, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then he says this, lo, I am with you till the end. God is for you. God is in you. God is with you. He is the great lifter of our souls. Great lifter of our souls. I used to go to um, a couple of times in my life, I've been to this park called King's Dominion. And, and, and King's Dominion had, growing up, they had two roller coasters. And I'm just going to tell you this right now, that um, my man card is back there. So I'm going to give it to you later. But, but my, here's, here's what took place for me. Here's what took place for me. I, uh, I'm scared of roller coasters, like petrified. Okay? Um, so growing up, I didn't want to do anything but the Scooby-Doo at King's Dominion. <laughs> I know. I said, it had a couple of bumps and a couple of turns, but there was this other roller coaster at King's Dominion and it was called the King Cobra. I was like, who in their right mind would ever want to get on that godforsaken thing? It had loops and twists and turns. And we're talking about like late 70s, 80s. Okay, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about the roller coasters of today. But I'm telling you right now, here's what I, here's what I saw. I saw the Scooby-Doo and I was like, that I can do. Okay, I don't want to do the King Cobra. And it doesn't matter what roller coaster you are on, he is with us. Sometimes life is a king cobra. Ultimately, we want the Scooby-Doo, right? But sometimes it's the Scooby-Doo. Sometimes it's the lazy river. And sometimes it's that vortex, godforsaken thing at Carowinds, whatever that is. And sometimes they are because they've got corkscrews and up and down, you're going all over the place. But I'm here to tell you that he is so worthy of our allegiance to him. Let us not run into 2018 apathetic. Let us run into 2018 with a massive great awakening to the things of God and to the victory that he said he would. So here's my, my closing right now is, is this is that I would love for you to say these statements. I've got them on the board. Not, not out loud, but I'm just gonna give these to you. You could write them down. But here's because of the points that we made. God is, God is, God is, God is. Those were the four points. And now, because of who God is, here's what I pray you will say in 2018. I will listen to the Lord. I know it's really simple, but it's really difficult sometimes. I will consider my ways 
I will obey and fear the Lord. And I will not forget that he is with me no matter what type of roller coaster I'm on.